Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God. His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I am your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Friday, November 3rd, we are studying Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 to 40. In today's text, the author of Hebrews brings to conclusion his list of saints of old who lived by faith, and they are in fact united to us in the Holy Christian Church. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. Pastor Wolfmuller serves at St. Paul and Jesus Death Lutheran Churches, both in Austin, Texas. Pastor Wolfmuller, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Well, thank you, Pastor Apple. Welcome. Uh, wait, I'm glad to be here. I'm not welcoming That's right. you. That's right. Thanks for welcoming so, me. You're Let's welcome. Get this straight. Who's hosting? Right. What are your thoughts about verse 32? Well, first, shut up the context for us. <laughs> Please, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Tell us about the letter to Hebrews. We've been wondering this whole time who the author is, and I'm sure you know. I always say Paul or whoever wrote Hebrews. <laughs> so I, I like to, I mean, we don't know. What have some of the answers been? Oh, we've got some of those Paul or whoever wrote Hebrews. There have been other suggestions. Luke, Clement, John a couple times came came up. Uh, no, no one knows. I, I found this in my Hebrews notes. I think I just um, had pasted the text of the King James on something so I could have some space to write. And at the end of it, it says, um, it said, uh, by Timothy from Ephesus. And I think that must be at the end of the King James. They, and I was like huh. really confident. I'm like, wow, wow. They know. You know, some people say Barnabas, some people say Apollos. It, yeah. One of the questions that we have, the reason why this matters is that we call the Bible the prophetic and apostolic word, and so we're like, well, who's the apostle here? Is it is it apostolic, and so who's the apostle? So that's why it's important to connect it to Paul, uh, no matter what. So um, it, we we think that this um, this sermon Hebrews comes with uh, apostolic authority through Paul, and that's a that's an important thing for us because that. At least for me, I'm always looking for the thing that clarifies things, and that phrase, the ap- prophetic and apostolic scriptures, is so helpful. Because then it's like, well, is, it, does it belong in the Bible? Well, the question is, is it written by a prophet or by an apostle? Yes, and then we have it. So so that's why Paul or whoever wrote Hebrews, is. It, that's how I take it. So talk to us about the content of this this sermon. We're in the end of chapter 11. We've come a long way. What do we need to know about what's been said before, especially chapter 11, as we prepare to look at this section, which I think you said is the, the best part? Yeah, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. That's how Hebrews 10 ended, and so we, and that's a big transition part. But those who believe to the saving of the soul, so... So up for, so one to ten, it, the argument has been Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than Moses, greater than um, Aaron, greater than the temple, greater than the angels, greater, greater. Jesus is greater. So that's the the basic argument of the first ten chapters. And and now we are the people of Jesus. And what does that mean? It means we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, and but those who believe to the saving soul. And so it's going to lean into those who believe, and it's going to run through this. Uh, what chapter 12 will call the great uh, cloud of witnesses. And so Hebrews 11, sometimes called the Hall of Faith, is just going to run through, starting with 
um, th- from the very beginning, from the garden, from Adam, Eve, uh, uh, Abel, all, Noah, all the way through to the now to the end, we, we've we've listed all the people and ta- and and Paul or whoever wrote Hebrews has talked about all all of them, and and now he's going to say, but wait, look, we're going to run out of time to talk about all these things, and then there's just going to be a list of people and a list of exploits that were accomplished by faith. That's the point, by faith. And so it's this great extolling of faith. And one of the amazing things that we'll see in the text that we have is that these list of exploits gets better and better and better, and then keeps getting better, but it takes for us a strange turn. Conquered cities were destroyed by the sword. Now we're like, wait a minute. So there's a there's kind of the glorious conquering of faith, and then the glorious being conquered by faith. And and it starts to lean towards those who were martyred for their faith. And then it talks about uh, th- this line that I, it's just seared on my mind. I think the first time I read it, maybe in middle school or in high, maybe probably high school, when I read that, that I, it's been seared on my mind, this little thing where it says, of whom the world was not worthy. And it, and it talks about how all the saints were despised and cast away, but the world wasn't even worthy of them. And then it comes around to say that all these were waiting for us. Ha! So we're part of this crowd. It's so great. So this, so we're at the we're at the crescendo of this great exhortation uh, to be part of the cloud of the faithful witnesses. Yeah, it, it's as we get to the very end where we are brought back in. He says he talks about us. It goes back even to the beginning of this chapter where he started off with us being a part of this great cloud of witnesses, that we are those who understand by faith that the universe was created. So we were included at the end of, or the beginning of this chapter. We are included yet again here at the end. As we have, as you said, if we were going to spend time doing all the Old Testament background on these verses, you would have the longest section by far because the, the level of Old Testament knowledge needed for this particular section is, is quite massive. Yeah, so let's make sure we have on the line another guest to call okay. up. Phone we'll see how here. we'll see how we do. Okay. Before we just as I was, as I was reading this, because it does it does start with these words. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, and he, he gives this list. It it thinking about this as a sermon, I I re, am reminded then that as we listen to sermons, there are some things that our pastors are expecting, hoping that we know and can fill in some of the gaps so that the pastor may not quote every single scripture passage he references, but he's expecting, hoping that you will know that. It just got me to thinking about the way we listen to sermons and the the biblical knowledge that we want to bring to the the listening to a sermon. That's a bit of an aside, but it, it came to mind as I was reading this text. Right. Well, there's a couple of times that happens in Hebrews, and one of the and it's one of the indications that we're listening to a sermon, like when he says we we can't explain the details of like the showbread, and I'm like, oh, explain those details. <laughs> but we have to move on from bread to meat, kind of thing. And 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 so the the writer of this sermon is very conscious of time. Although we, I don't know how long it would take to read through all of Hebrews. It would probably take 50 minutes, I imagine. So it's not a short sermon to begin with, and maybe that's what he's feeling, that he's feeling the clock. But there's also a rhetoric, rhetorical thing here. So, like, look, I listed all these people, all these uh, who did all these exploits by faith, and that's just the beginning. There's more. And so not only, you know, not what you're saying is 100% true. We're bringing in these biblical pictures, imagery, stories, and we ex- you, you got to fill in the blank 
But there's also a way that what that does is say we we have to always be students. You can't just listen right. to one sermon and go away. No, so that there will be sometimes when the pastor will mention something in the sermon, you're like, wait a minute. Well, like me, getting ready for this conversation, like Barack. Who was Barack? And you got to go back and read the story. You're like, yeah. oh yeah, Barack. Okay, I remember that guy. So so it, it, we, we're always students of the scripture, and these things are the. The, the world of the Scripture is so expansive that it's always sending us back to study and know and know more. Yeah, so when, when your pastor finishes preaching on Sunday morning, then you don't wait until the next sermon to engage with the Scriptures. You, you pick up the things that he mentioned that captured mm-hmm. your imagination, and you go to the Scriptures during the week to check out those accounts that are listed so that you are more prepared for the next sermon. And again, we're constantly engaged in the world of the Scriptures, hearing God's Word throughout the week. I, I'll give homework assignments sometimes. I'll say, look, your homework assignment this week is to read Hebrews 11, or you got to go read <laughs> Hebrews 15, or 1 Corinthians 15, sorry, or or you got to go read 2 Samuel chapter 7. And I, I never check. I should when people show back up, like, let me see your homework. Turn in your essays here, but um, so I've, because I've, it, I've assigned papers sometimes, and I actually did get one one back one week. Someone someone actually wrote me a, a handwritten paper about the the topic that I asked. Wow! Try try that. Yeah, I, you know, I, I I that happened to me too, and I remember it now that you're thinking about it. It was on the difference between sin, iniquity, and transgression, wow. which I never can remember. And someone went and dug it up and found the differences, and that was kind of cool. Fantastic, fantastic. So let's take a look then at this text that the author of Hebrews has for us at the end of chapter eleven, starting at verse thirty-two. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak. Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains, and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. That's our text Ooh. for today, Hebrews 11, verses 32 to 40. That, that amazing part, it's like, uh, women receive their dead to life again, and you're like, how can it get better than that? And then it says, others were tortured. Like, the, whoa, the, the, that's, oh, boy, well, that's maybe getting ahead of ourselves, but what a well, text. Well, no, so, since, since you went there, just, it, are we if you think about that as a climax, because it certainly does sound climactic that people are being raised from the dead, are we then to think of the rest of the list not as a maybe a stair step down, but further further climactic? This is what happens when you are of faith. Yeah, I, exactly right. That's I think so. It's it you know you see this exhalation. You quenched the violence of fire. You escaped the edge of the sword. Not only did you escape it, they were made strong, became valiant in battle. They turned to fight armies of strangers. Women receive their dead to life, others tortured, so, so that it's like, oh yeah, it even I'll top that, and I'll top that, and I'll top that. And this is exactly how Paul, when he's 
you know, one of the things in Second Corinthians, this comes up a couple of times, Paul's listing his exploits. And there's a, there's a word for this. There's a technical f- term because in the ancient world, kings would often list, list their exploits and they would put it on the footstool and it would be engraved there. And you, uh, so, so here's who I conquered in battle. Here's who I stomped over. Here's who I, and so it has that form. And Paul says, uh, I was stoned twice. I, I was let out of a basket. I was floating on the ocean. In, in other words, they're not exploits at all. They're, it's the opposite of exploits. It's, yeah. it's that rhetoric turned on its head. And here, this is exactly what's happening. You have all these exploits, and, and then all of a sudden it makes this turn, and we're to understand that these are the exploits of faith. They were tortured. They didn't accept deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. They had trials of mocking and scourging, chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. Mm. So that they didn't even... So here's those who conquered the world. Here's those who were conquered by the world. And it reminds us of Moses, remember, who for who wouldn't give up the knowing God for all the wealth of Egypt. And 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 this is that great triumph of faith, is that it is that if you live or if you die, it doesn't matter. Take they our life, goods, fame, child, and wife, let these all be gone. They yet have nothing won. In fact, we're the ones that have conquered. This is the this is the uh the freedom and the hope and the confidence and the joy of the martyrs to know that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Mm. So that, that that they have this great victory of being part of this cloud of witnesses. And and they've and they their victory is seen in their twofold, I suppose, willingness to suffer and willingness to die. Mm. So it reminds us of Revelation twelve, where uh how how does uh give it to us there, that the devil comes down chasing after us, and they overcame him, which is an amazing thing to do, not just to resist the devil or to be able to escape the devil, but to actually overcome the devil by three things, by the word of the testimony, by the blood of the lamb, and they didn't love their lives unto death. So this this, uh, picture of faith is the not loving their lives unto death, which is an echo of Hebrews 2, that that he took on flesh and blood, so that he might destroy him who has the power of the devil, and set those free from the, who all their life were in bondage to the fear of death, that's the, this is that freedom that's there, so that, so that our victory comes not only in those who are soldiers being made strong for battle, but those who are confessors being made strong for martyrdom, and, and so that, that it is this great crescendo and and it's a wild crescendo, you know, wandering about in sheepskins in the wilderness. It it yeah, it's like it it each one is one upping the other one. It's like, oh yeah, well you you raised babies from the dead. Oh yeah, well I was tortured. Oh yeah, well I was cut in half. Well oh yeah, I wandered around in sheepskins in the desert. I mean, well, that doesn't seem that impressive. But for the Christian, every remember the kingdom of God is sort of an upside down kingdom, and so when when the when the when the throne of our king is in the shape of a cross, then the whole the whole Christian life is is put upside down. Yeah, it, this thought of the the list that comes to a crescendo, it seems, but then keeps going in a way that doesn't seem like it adds to it. Also reminds me of when John the Baptist sends those two messengers to Jesus in prison, asking if he's the Christ, 
and Jesus gives him that answer. And I, I forget all the exact order of the the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, and it comes to then the the dead are being raised. But then he says the poor have good news preached to them. Right. And it seems something very similar is happening here, just just more expansive. Yeah, that's right. I know you know. Remember, John the Baptist was hoping. Well, remember that uh, prophecy that he'll set the prisoners free. Remember, yeah. remind him of that prophecy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. But that wasn't for him because because Jesus is the one who sets the prisoners free. But poor John, part of the old covenant, doesn't get the benefits of that. And as far as I can tell, John is the only one that Jesus lets stay dead. Maybe his father, but. Uh, the, the, he so he doesn't he John actually is a great example of the verse that's coming up is that they were not supposed to be made perfect apart from us so John had to see even though from a close distance John had to see the crucifixion and resurrection from a distance but the church gets to see it close up and so so he had to be he had John is a great example in fact going around in sheepskins and that's yeah. that's that description of John there. Yeah, that's right. That's right. All right, let's take some of the the names that we get, some of the descriptions in a little more detail. So, again, as as he starts this section, what more shall I say? He's he's running out of time. So, he starts listing several names: Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. Uh, take us in, into the names that are listed before we get into more general descriptions. Yeah, sure. So, Gideon and Samson and Jephthah were all judges. Barak was kind of a judge. He was a general, uh, he, um, more of a, I, I think it's, well, I don't know how, if you want to describe him, but he was Deborah the prophetess, right. kind of called him to, to into action. And so those first four were in the time of the judges, for sure, and not in order. If you were putting it in order, I think you would go Barak, Gideon, Jephthah, Samson. Yes. But he, he kind of bounces around out of order. And then also David and Samuel, so they're they're kind of front and back. So it might make more sense to say Barak and Gideon, Jephthah and Samson, Samuel and David, but they're they're reversed order. Uh, you know, Samuel was the last, I think we call him the last judge, uh, one of the first of the prophets, and certainly one of the, to have that kind of uh, political sense. So it's under Samuel that the, Lord answers the people's prayer for a king and gives them Saul, and then most especially King David. And so these these six are listed here. Of like, look, we got to we got to we got to Joshua. We got right. to the first six books, and now like, boom, here's the histories. That's right. Uh, we we don't have time for all that whole rest of the Old Testament. But That's right. but don't forget that they're in there. But they're strange. I mean, I again, I wish like earlier. When Paul says, well, I don't have time to explain all these things, I'm like, boy, it would have been really helpful, because I can understand how Moses did these things by faith. I, You know, that makes sense to me. But man, I would love some help with Jephthah. That's you know, right. I mean, it's, you you read the stories, and and I, I suppose what it says here, that they, you know, stopped the mouths of lions. We had, I mean, that reminds us of Daniel most especially, but you got Samson, who was walking in the city and attacked by a lion and tears it open. What a beast of a man, Samson. And then, you know, that's that whole deal where he comes back and and uh, uh, and finds the honey in the lion, but the, he, he, the, he uses it as a riddle, but his wife, who was a prostitute, had already told the bad guys, and so then he goes on this murderous rage, and then they burn his wife and her dad. I mean, oh, that's ugly. That's, yeah. I mean, that was all probably in the same place where all the nonsense is happening right now in the Gaza Strip. I mean, that's probably the same area. 
of the world at pretty close. So, so I would have loved to have more explanation about what parts of their lives and exploits should we attribute to faith in the Spirit, and what parts we should attribute to to the flesh. Mm-hmm. Uh, but alas, we don't have it. Yeah, that this is one of those places where, and we've talked about this with previous incidents where the names and the the incidents listed, like, well, that's not what I would have put in my sermon. I don't know that I would have used Jephthah as the example of faith, or or even Barak, as you said, one who's cowardly, as I think as you read about him there in Judges 4 and 5, doesn't doesn't really strike you as the, the right guy for the job, and yet he's there. What do you, I mean, when we see these sins of the saints next to their exploits of faith, what I mean, what do we make of that? I, we just finished naming the rooms at St. Paul in the in the Sunday school wing after the saints in in uh, Hebrews 11, but we had the same question because we're like, well, wh- who's what room is going to be the Rahab room? Right, you know? right. Are the quilters going to be like, oh, this is the, you know, <laughs> no, we're gonna, we got no. the Rahab room. So uh, you're 100% right. Now, okay, so two things. One is, remember how the confessions teach us to to remember the, the saints. The, the first is that we give thanks to God for the gifts that he gives to the church through those saints. So if they taught, if they delivered, if they rescued, if they if they were generous, we give thanks to God for, their, for the gifts that the, he used to give them to. The second is that uh, they remind us of the gospel, of repentance, both contrition and faith. So they remind us in, in their sinfulness that God does not forsake sinners, and in his generosity to them, we give thanks to God that it reminds us of his generosity and grace to us. So we know that all the saints there before sinners. And then the third benefit of the saints is we um, we copy them according to their vocations. Right. So if you're a judge, then, I mean, an Old Testament war judge, then you follow the example of, of uh, Gideon, for example. So um, so those three ways. So that second way to remember that they're saints, when we see, for example, David restored, mm. when we see Peter comforted, when we see Paul called to be an apostle, then we're reminded that, that God has dealt with our sins in Christ. And we can be confident then that that eternal life is is being prepared for us and has been delivered to us in the in the gifts of God through Christ, through our baptism, through the preaching of the word, through the supper. We have this confidence in eternal life. So that so that's good. The second thing though is we're reading in the Worldwide Bible Study, which only meets once a week as opposed to sharper iron. Every day of the week. That's amazing. Uh, worldwide Bible class. So we're doing the life of Jacob with Martin Luther. So we're reading through the Genesis commentary with Luther. And um, and one of the amazing things is where we would really highlight the sin, Luther does not. Hmm. For example, we just finished the stealing of the idol, where Rachel steals the idol from Laban, her father. And we would just say, well, okay, first of all, Rachel, what did you want with an idol? And why did you steal it? This is, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of sin happening here. Well, Luther sees Rachel and Leah and Jacob as Christians who are trying to be Christians in the particularly difficult circumstance of their father, who was a hater of humanity and a, and a slave driver, and, and this was what was owed them from the beginning. And so they capture this wealth and even did a good thing by, um, by slowing down the idolatry happening over in Laban's house. And, and he, 
he leans into the Christians who are certainly sinners and struggling against the flesh, but in a way that is generous. And I think that probably comes from Hebrews 11. There's a generosity which with Hebrews 11 reads the, the accounts of the saints of the Old Testament that we need to learn from, because we are in a very iconocl- iconoclastic age. We love to tear down statues. Uh, we, we, you know, even, like, just to think of it in, in American history, we, you, when I was growing up, we had American heroes, right? There was George Washington and Thomas Jefferson, and these guys, these were heroes. And now you can't abide by that, because they were, well, they were slave owners, and they were unfaithful. And, okay, we, it's fair enough that they were sinners, and they were heroes all together at the same time. And that the, the, we, we kind of have to grapple with both of those realities. And so it is with these guys too. They were, they were desperate sinners in need of the Lord's mercy. And yet the Holy Spirit would use them to accomplish his purposes, mostly you know, destroying the Philistines. Uh, but that's the, uh, the, that, that's the kind of, I guess the complexity of a of a true history here, so we don't want to be, we don't want to just throw people out. We want to rejoice that the Lord, in fact, is is using them. Yeah, and I think that, as you said, in in our day and age, we tend to to swing more to that that second side where we are around this this time where people are just tearing down the heroes, and so that's maybe the way that we're we tend to we want to be careful so we don't overread that into the text, but rather you said read it with the generosity that these are forgiven sinners, that they are they are saints, those who have been, uh, they're looking forward to the coming of the Christ, trying to live in that hope, and do they do it perfectly? Of course not, but that doesn't that doesn't take away, as, as you brought up from the confessions, that third way that we think about the saints, where, where they do set that godly example to seek to imitate that in our vocation. We want to, I think that what you said there about remembering how the confessions teach us to think about the saints is a, a helpful way to to thread that needle from falling off on either side of of only seeing their sins or or, or idolizing them on the other hand that's a it's a helpful way to, to think about this and certainly a good thing as we keep reading here in Hebrews 11 we're going to look at more of this text on the other side of the break you're listening to sharper iron on KFUO we're talking to pastor Brian Wolfmuller this morning we'll be right back please stick around Who does Lutheran Church Extension Fund serve, you ask? It's simple. We serve Lutheran Church Missouri Synod ministries and church workers with loans and ministry services. And it's faithful Lutherans like you, church members and church workers alike, investing with LCEF that makes it possible for LCEF to serve these ministries. Learn more at lcef.org. LCF is a nonprofit religious organization. Therefore, LCF investments are not FDIC-insured bank deposit accounts. This is not an offer to sell investments or solicitation to buy. LCF will offer and sell its securities only in states where authorized. The offer is made solely by LCF's offering circular. Investors should carefully read the offering circular, which more fully describes associated risks.
Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, November 3rd. We're studying Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 to 40 with Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. He serves at St. Paul and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Churches, both in Austin, Texas. Pastor Wolfmuller, prior to the break, we talked briefly about those six names that are given, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel. The author also lists the prophets. Talk to us about the prophets and their yeah. example of faith. S- so he's he's like getting even more like so one word he piles in. I don't know how many named prophets we have in the Bible. I bet you it's thirty to forty named prophets, and we have even more than that. And we're not a hundred percent sure who the all the prophets are because Simeon reminds us that there was prophets since the world began. So we can talk rightly of Adam being a prophet. Uh, the first time the prophet the word prophet is used is of Abraham. And it's when he's there wandering around, and he's given Sarah again to the king, who's about to get destroyed for it. And the the Lord tells the king, go to Abraham, who's my prophet. We think of prophet as the one who sees the future, but that's not the case. We probably think about that, because the prophets are the ones who see Christ, and Christ for them was in the future. So the prophets also, though, see God's intent behind uh, history, and they are able to preach law and gospel. So the prophets are the preachers who have a word directly from God, called immediately by him. And remember in the Old Testament, the prophets started seminaries, so they had the sons of the prophets. Those are the preachers. And that's really nice, because the same thing is true in the, uh, in the New Testament. The apostles, called directly by God, speak the word of God, and then there's the sons of the apostles, that's you and me, and all the pastors who are in the office of preaching what the prophets and the apostles preached and wrote. Uh, so, But we have the prophets, and that reminds us, for, I mean, from Samuel, Elijah, Elisha, uh, all the way, I mean, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, all the way to the end, uh, to Malachi, uh, until the prophetic office is closed, and then one more man, John the Baptist, the last of the prophets, uh, before the close of the Old Testament. And so he lumps all of those in there, Remembering the chief mark of the prophets, from our perspective, is that they spoke the Lord's word. From Jesus' perspective, it was that they were murdered in Jerusalem. (laughs) He brings that up over and over again. You who wounded the prophets and and killed those who were sent to you, not all the blood of the prophets is is in you. We, We really had that in the last couple of weeks in the sermons where the parable of the vineyard and the the tenants kill the the servants sent to them and then the parable of the wedding feast where the those who were invited kill the servants who were sent to bring them to the wedding feast and this um this violence against the lord's prophets is one of the marks where jesus says he finishes his sermon on the mount or the blessings of the sermon on the mount those who revile you and persecute you, so they did to the prophets who were before you. So the prophets give us a hint that the exploits of faith are not only going to be bearing the sword, but also having the sword turned against you. You know, so, some of those who were who were listed here were, had the handle of the sword, but others were a lot closer to the action edge. And uh, and that's really the prophets. They were the ones who were who were learning the edge of the sword. God be praised. Uh, they were so that they they that they have that mark of that fearlessness of death. And probably because the mark of the prophets in the Old Testament is that they stood in the council of God. That's that Jeremiah twenty three. No Jeremiah twenty one. Jeremiah thirteen. Jeremiah seven. That's that Jeremiah text 
that says the prophet stood in the council of the Lord, and um, I bet it's 21. And Somewhere it says. Yeah, and, uh, and so they knew where they were going, you know? Like, oh, you're going to take my life? Well, I've been to that heavenly throne room and seen it already, and I can't wait to go back. So you just help me along the way. This is my favorite picture of this, because there's this old Thomas Aquinas hymn that Luther quotes about the martyrs. It says, um, talking about, it's like it's from the perspective of, of the martyrs, talking about the demonic affliction that they receive from, you know, the sword and imprisonment and torture and all this. And the martyrs sing, unknowingly, they lead us to bliss. So you don't know it. You're coming to torture me and afflict me, but you don't even realize that you're helping me on the way to the place where I want to be. So it's like you got to imagine you're walking down the street, and up next to you pulls this unmarked van, and a bunch of thugs jump out, and they hogtie you, they throw you in the back, and they drop you off at the Texas Roadhouse with a couple of gift cards. And you're like, this is where I wanted to be anyways. This is great. Thank you. It's fantastic. This is what the de- when the devil comes to torture and afflict and, and destroy the the Lord's people, we're like, whoa, wow, thank you. This is great to live as Christ to die is gain. So um, it's phenomenal. So that that ending of the prophets kind of gives us an indication of what's to come. All right. So with with that, then you get this list of I think you've used the word exploits of faith, and as you said, they do start to go up in a way that we expect. Before then, they start to go up in a way that we don't expect. Is there, uh, there's just so many things listed here, Pastor Wolf Mueller. I'll let you kind of pick out, I'm thinking all the way through women received back their dead by resurrection. That's where there seems to be a bit of a climax before you start going then about more of the suffering route. So so talk to us about any of the things that that really strike you in those, that first section. Well, so just maybe to highlight this, that we want to, like, for example, here it says, escape the edge of the sword. So that reminds us of David running from Saul and escaping, just as one example. But then in as the list gets even more impressive, they don't escape the edge of the sword. They're, they're, uh, they're cut in two, for example, or whatever. Um, some were quenched the violence of fire. Others were burned. So in other words, there's a there's a there's a kind of mirror here, and so we say, well, what is this? Is the point? What what is the? Um, we're tempted to think this is this kind of word of faith thing that just gets inside of us. Is that if I add faith, things would be great? We say, well, what's the exploits of faith? Is it escaping the edge of the sword, or is it being cut in half? <laughs> what's the what's the exploit of faith? Is it escaping the lion or being devoured by the lion? Escaping the fire or being burned by the fire? Living or dying? Rescuing or being obliterated? And the answer is yes, yes. By faith, we're more than conquerors in life and in death. And so that if you have faith, you might escape the edge of the sword one day by faith, and you might endure the edge of the sword the next day by faith, and it's all the same. Now, I've had—this is, a, I think, a really important thing, because when we when we teach the importance of suffering, which the Bible is, talks about so much—I mean, Jesus says, well, look, if you want to follow me, take up your lazy boy and prop up your feet, and it'll be great. No, no. 
It's in this world, you will have trouble. That's the Lord's promise. So we know things are going to be bad for the Christian. Uh, we know there's going to be suffering. So we, we teach the importance of that, the endurance of suffering. But then people come to me and they say, well, Pastor, look, I, I've had a pretty good life. Like, I have not had that much suffering. Now, maybe they've had more than they realize, and and we normally think of suffering as physical suffering, and we we miss the worst stuff, which is the demonic temptation to unbelief and doubt and all that. But anyway, it's fine. There's people who have a pretty good life, and they, they didn't have to escape the edge of the sword, and they haven't been persecuted that much, and, and so forth and so on. I've had a pretty decent life. I mean, it's kind of amazing, really, the, all the gifts the Lord has given. Does that mean that the the Lord has forsaken me because I haven't suffered enough? Answer, no. No. The Lord is the one who gives good days and bad days, wealth and poverty, health and sickness. He's And because he is Lord, you know, that the old Epicurean said, oh, pain is bad, pleasure is good. The Stoics said, no, no. Pleasure's bad. Pain is good. We say, pleasure's good. Pain is good. Jesus is Lord. That's the point. And whatever he wants to give, I'll receive from the hands of his generosity. So look, if he wants me to be on that first part of the list to stop the mouth of lions, God be praised. But if he wants me to be on the last part of the list, they were slain with the sword, wandering around in sheepskins, God be praised. Whatever side of the list I'm on, God be praised. It's like the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Look, I'm not, we're not afraid. We'll go in there, and maybe God will deliver us, and maybe he won't. But either way, we're not going to worship this stupid idol. And so that we, we have this great confidence uh, that the Lord is Lord of all of it. Uh, so that's really great. The women receiving their dead again is this this kind of parallel of Elijah and Elisha. That's when the that's when the dead are raised, and that's when and there's a callback to that. I think if I remember right, Elijah. What raised one or two, one or two, and then Eli- it's double with Elisha. Similar thing happens with Peter and Paul. Peter one, Paul two, Jesus four. So that there's there's always this kind of exponential growth, and Jesus is always has the the most. So to show that Jesus is the greatest of all the prophets, the resurrection or the resuscitations here, the being raised from the dead that he accomplishes, it's going to be double uh, the prophets. So, but uh, that's that a, a callback to that those amazing um, works that the Lord was doing through the prophets. the The fact that 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 beginning of verse thirty five, the women receiving back their dead by resurrection, that that stands it seems as sort of a hinge between the the exploits of faith that receive the abundance and the exploits of faith and that receive the the suffering. That that strikes me as, as not being accidental. That 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 is, and I, as you said, those are resuscitations. I suppose they're not raised to eternal life at those moments. But the fact that resurrection is mentioned kind of there in the middle seems important because mm-hmm. it is that hope of the resurrection that enables us to endure all the sufferings that are described here. Fine point, Pastor Apple, and and it, it reminds us of how. Resurrection is on the mind of Paul here as he preaches this. He already mentioned it with Abraham, where we wouldn't have expected it. Abraham expected Isaac back from the dead, and this is the this is a real point: is that death is um, because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, and and because of the forgiveness of sins that he accomplishes. Death is. Mm, Death is minimized, so it becomes a portal. There, there is, there is a, a profound sense for the Christian 
that death is not the end. And and as the Lord sanctifies our imaginations and convictions, this becomes more and more established. It's helpful too for the as we get older and older because we and we see so many people go through death and now we it seems to us like oh they're gone, but we know better. No, they've gone to be before the Lord. So that even as he's talking about all these who have passed through life and through death, he also is confessing that God is not the God of the dead, but the living, so that they still live. It's one of the customs that we have to change. I'm working on this all the time, is that when we speak of the dead, we do not speak of those who were, but of those who are, because they have not ceased to be. They've just ceased to be with us. They are with the Lord. So we, you know, we think of death as an end, and the the you know, the the one of the things that the scriptures do is that they draw very clear lines where we want them to be blurry. Just, I mean, like men and women. Okay, there's a clear line where our culture wants it to be blurry, but the scriptures will also draw more blurry lines where we want it to be clear. And death seems to us like a real clear line, like you're living and poof, dead, it's over. Note that it's blurred out a little bit for us in the Scripture, so that we pass, so that so that Jesus can call death, what we call death, passing from death to life. Now, how about that? So we say that those who have gone before us, that they're finally alive, they're, they live before the Lord. And so, so death is not as big a deal to us. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, how about, how about this? I've been thinking about this a little bit. The the key thing for for us with death and suffering to to remember. So if you compare the prayers of Jesus on the cross with the prayers of Stephen when he's being stoned, and so Stephen has two prayers, and Jesus prayed both of those prayers. Father, forgive them. Stephen says, "Don't hold it against them." And Psalm thirty one, into your hands I commit my spirit. Stephen to Jesus, into your hands I commend myself. There's a prayer that Jesus prays that Stephen does not. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that's the point, is that in our death and in our suffering, we do not cry out and ask God why we're forsaken, because he doesn't and can't forsake us. I, I will never leave you or forsake you. Even if I'm, you go through the valley of shadow of death, I'm with you. So that the forsakenness of Jesus in his death for us and for our sins means that in the midst of our suffering, we know that God is not mad at us, and that makes all the difference. So we could say, well, to, I, I desire to do—can you imagine, Paul? I desire to depart and be with the Lord, and to, to lay down and sleep and open my eyes to see the face of Christ. It's for us the thing that we're longing for, and so it's great. So if the Lord gives back the children to the women, God be praised. If he doesn't, then that's okay, because they'll be raised again. And we'll have them back on the last day. Uh, this is this is so great. So time time would fail us, Pastor Wolf Mueller, to to name all of the Old Testament references that might come to mind here. I think some of these maybe are more specific than others. Some of them bring to mind more than one example. But as you even mentioned the example of Stephen in the New Testament, I, I'm wondering with this point in the sermon and this part point in the list. If perhaps Paul or whoever wrote the letter of Hebrews maybe is is bringing to mind more than just Old Testament examples, but even into New Testament and perhaps in into examples that this congregation has has seen in their own midst. Maybe, although remember Hebrews says, "You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood." So while Hebrews the 
the congregation that was receiving this letter initially was in a time of persecution. It was probably social and financial, like probably what we're going through. That you know, it starts socially, it then goes economically, harder to get work, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and then it becomes um, the, uh, the public mockery, and and then it starts to escalate. And it doesn't seem like it had escalated to the point of shedding blood, but they certainly it should be in the memory of all the Christians those who have shed their blood for the faith, to know that this is this is what the devil wants. He's bloodthirsty. Uh, the, and so the, he's always after uh, he's always after the blood of Christians. And so it, it's on their mind as well. I mean, you think of the things in the New Testament. Was James was killed by the sword. Stephen, we mentioned before, was stoned. Paul, who maybe wrote this, was stoned twice, you know, imprisoned. Maybe even when he wrote this, so that the 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 exploits of the prophets are also marked by the by the apostles. We have at Saint Paul in Austin the stained glass window right around the, the middle stained glass window has Christ, and then around it uh, twelve almonds, and in the almonds are the 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 weapons that were used to kill the apostles, hmm. and reminding us of their martyrdom uh, is there, and it's it's quite profound that so uh, surrounding the Lord are his saints who were afflicted in all these different ways, and that becomes their, again, their mark of triumph. There's two, there's two St. Peter windows. How about, this is interesting. One of them is, has the keys, and another one, I don't know how it was Peter? Oh, yeah, he was crucified upside down. So there's a cross there in the almond. Then there's another one that has the keys, and then another one has the rooster. And mm-hmm. and I was thinking about this, how how what wh- what is the boast of the of the Lord's saints? Is it the is it the keys? I give you the keys of the kingdom? No. I think Peter would say, No, put a rooster on my window, or put an upside down cross on my window, because um, it, because in my suffering for the Lord Jesus, He triumphs over the world, and He delivers me. I can't overcome death in the grave, but He has, and He will for me. And I live and I die in that confidence. Mm, that's that's beautiful. That's beautiful. So let's let's really dig in then to the last couple of verses because this is where if if there's been surprising turns, they continue here in verse thirty nine. And forty. So all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Now we get brought back in here at the end of this chapter, perhaps in a, a surprising way. Not that, not that we. It doesn't sound like we get added to them, but rather they get added to us, which seems perhaps backwards. But it's it has I think to do with the fulfillment that's come in Christ. So help us into these last two verses. Yeah, yeah. Maybe just to pick up two quick things on the way there. The the sawn in two is probably a reference to Isaiah. That's the tradition that Isaiah the prophet yeah. was cut in two, which is amazing. But don't we can't miss this that they were that they wandered about, and and remember the the question is do you have a city or not? Mm. And the these who walked by faith did not yet have a city. That's that's the point that they. They were wanderers. I'm. They were singing. I'm but a stranger here. Heaven is not my home. And and so the temptation for us to and to recognize this, 
that the temptation to our faith is that we, this world would kind of absorb us into itself. You know, we, we walk lightly in this world, knowing that at any moment the Lord calls us out of it. And so, so those who walked by faith before, they didn't have a, they didn't have a permanent place. And they, they were in caves, that, and that's that, in dens. Uh, they were in deserts and mountains. They were, they were wanderers. Now, this doesn't mean we shouldn't invest in real estate. That's, I mean, that's not the point. But th- the point is that we should not let our hearts invest in real estate. We should not let our hearts become attached to the things of this earth, which are transitory. Our treasure is in heaven, from which we await a Savior. Our citizenship is in heaven says Paul. So we store up our treasures there, where uh, Christ and his righteousness. But all of these, they never had that city that they were waiting for and longing for, because they were, because while they didn't have a city, they were waiting for the Lord to take up his tabernacle with us. And so it's when Jesus, by his incarnation, sets up this kind of, in his own flesh, a heavenly refugee camp, you know, this tent city of the flesh of Jesus, that's the thing they were waiting for, and we have it. Ugh. So we don't look forward to these things. We look back to them. So for them, faith was the same as hope. There's no difference, because their faith is it's grasping, it's reaching ahead, it's looking for the thing that hasn't been delivered yet. For us, our faith reaches back to the death and resurrection of Jesus. So that so that now the, the thing that they were longing for, we have. It's amazing. I, I always want to picture this. I have a painting of the prophet Isaiah at a desk and a confirmation student, like a seven-year-old child, confessing the creed, and Isaiah, with weeping wonder, writing down, oh, Mary is her name. The virgin, her name is Mary. Oh, and she lived in Bethlehem. Oh, and he was oh, crucified. Yes, Pontius Pilate, the Roman. Oh, oh, and he's right. So all the, the, the things that we take for granted, the basics of the faith, the prophets were longing to understand and to get a hold of. So they saw these things from a distance, and we've seen them up close. We have the eyewitnesses. And that is the completeness of the Lord's kingdom. And so and so in us, really, we could say it like this, in the death and resurrection of Jesus, which we know of, now the, the whole prophetic uh, message finds its telos, its completion, its, its, its goal. It just, it's blooming. It's this field of, of fragrant flowers. All of a sudden it wants, wah! In, in in living color. And now we and we have it. The 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 seven-year-old child knows these things that the that Abel and Moses and David longed longed to see. Oh, we don't even realize. That's what Joel even saw. Their their young men will dream dreams and their young women will prophesy that that the like the whole of the prophetic scripture is made clear to us in in the gospels. Uh and and so uh, so we rejoice together all at once. The crescendo of praise to God comes all at once as Jesus is led to the cross and as he bursts forth from the tomb. Mm. Uh, as Jesus tells his apostles, blessed are 
the eyes that see what you see. Many prophets and kings desired to see these things and didn't, and to hear these things and didn't. So blessed are our eyes, blessed are our ears that hear and see the good news of Jesus Christ. Got about two minutes here, Pastor Wolfmuller. I know you're the the thought of the martyrs is, is near and dear to you, and this is certainly a, a part of this text. Uh, just help us to wrap things up, uh, especially and encourage us with that that faith of the martyrs that we see here in, in this text. Yeah, we always, you know, one of the great temptations for us, and it's, I mean, it's it's hardly, it's good to recognize it, it's, it's almost impossible to escape it, is that we want to be thought worthy by the world, right? We just want the world to think of us in a good way. And we should have. I mean, we're called to have a good reputation with outsiders. That's part of the mark of even being a pastor. So we should we should pursue that. But we should be very careful is that we are not trying to win the approval of the world. This this phrase here, which in some ways encourages me, in some ways haunts me, of the here's the guys in sheepskin wandering around in the desert. The world wasn't worthy of them. They they belong to the kingdom of heaven. And that we should endeavor to do the same by faith. We, we belong to God's kingdom, and that, that sets us free to live and to die and to live forever before the Lord in glory, so that our heroes, the prophets, stand before us as examples of this. Hey, if you don't, if you don't worship the emperor, we're going to kill you, and you say, well, please? You know, good, that'd be great. Because, to, um, because we, depart, we, we, depart, we don't depart in violence, or we don't depart in fear, or we don't depart in judgment. We, we depart this life in peace. It's what we pray for, and it's what the Lord gives. Lord, let your servant depart in peace. And so this peace that comes from the confidence that our sins are forgiven, that the Lord has prepared a place for us in his eternal kingdom, there's a seat at his eternal banquet, this gives us confidence to, to live not for the pleasure of the world, but for the pleasure of God, knowing that he is already, in fact, pleased with us, because we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We're covered with his blood. So, so this totally shapes our, it reshapes our living. We're, we're not conformed to this world, but transformed as the Spirit renews our minds by these, by these great and wonderful promises. So God be praised for the martyrs, and may the Lord grant us a, the faith to confess the same, and to look forward to the eternal life and the resurrection of the body with them. Uh, it, it's coming so- Jesus is coming soon. That's our, that's our hope and confidence. God be praised. Come, Lord Jesus. This is our prayer. Pastor Brian Wolfmuller serves at St. Paul and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Churches, both in Austin, Texas. He has been helping us today to study Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 to 40. Pastor Wolfmuller, thanks for being our guest today. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Pastor Apple. By faith, we receive the good days from God. By faith, we receive the days of suffering from God. Either way, we do so in hope that Christ will raise us again to a better life on that day when he comes again. That day is coming soon. Come, Lord Jesus. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about Hebrews 11, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It's always a joy to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week. Thank you.